athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. You're locked in to the dopest show on radio from the press box to press row. I am your host, Donald Ware. Obviously, we have a whole lot to unpack on today's program. And uh, listen, we knew if, if we've seen this. So we knew that George Floyd wasn't going to be the last unarmed black man to be shot by the police. It's why we had all of the protests early on that lasted for quite some time. We sort of seen in some respects uh, it uh, subsided. We still don't have in custody the officers that killed Breonna Taylor. They are still not in custody. And obviously George Floyd was the killing an unarmed black man with a knee to his neck was the one that really broke the camel's back. But then you take things to Kenosha, Wisconsin, where Jacob Blake was unarmed, was shot in the back seven times by the police as he walked towards his car. I don't know if you've seen this video, but it's it's extremely disturbing. It's I mean, I you know, you we I just get sick and tired of having these kinds of conversations we had, you know, we, we continue to have and And unfortunately we're going to continue to have these kinds of conversations, which why it was to me, I definitely applauded the NBA and more specifically the Milwaukee bucks for deciding not to take the court against Orlando on Wednesday, big time move by the bucks and the NBA said, Hey, we're going to cancel games as well. So the NBA, which has been at the forefront of this, uh, has always taken a stand. And this was the thing. This is the thing about the NBA. And one of the things I'm going to do on Tuesday after the Clippers and Mavericks game, Clippers head coach Doc Rivers talked. Uh, in, I mean, I'm going to replay. We don't replay a lot of sound on this program, but this is a must replay. You got to hear exactly what Doc Rivers had to say for about three minutes in a post-game press conference as it related to Jacob Blake, and not just to Jacob Blake, speaking as a father, as a black man, as the father of a of black children. You know, it, 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 I mean, you know, we are prey, and we continue to be prey. And what he had to say was spot on. Uh, we're going to replay part of that interview. But getting back to the Bucks. I mean, ultimately taking a stand, it happened in their home state and really not uh, uh, Kenosha, not far from Milwaukee. So the Bucks took a stand. I think there were a lot of players that expressed concern 
when this whole bubble idea came about, more specifically, not necessarily with the COVID situation because we've seen the bubble be extremely effective for the NBA, but a lot of the concern from, or some of the concern from some of the players was that playing a game would take away from the social justice message. And you know, I thought that you could play and uh, it would illuminate, if you will, the social justice message, especially when you have the social justice messages on the back of the jerseys where you have it all on the court, Black, Live, uh, Black Lives Matter, et cetera, et cetera. But as those games begin to or, or sort of go on, you know, for me, I mean, I, 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 I like to sort of look and see what each player has on the back of their respective jersey. For some, it may have just, it, you almost get used to it, right? You see the, the Black Lives Matter on the court. You sort of get used to that. So it's not as much to the forefront. So I want to really get into that. Talking about the NBA on the program, the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, if you uh, also, and it, it's interesting that it also happened this week and prior to uh, what we saw the NBA do, but Roger Goodell, in essence, said that the NFL should have listened to Colin Kaepernick. I mean, you're saying that now. Uh, I think it's very unfortunate um, that, because if you remember, I mean, the NFL was pretty much set in its ways in terms of it was defiant and again listen to what I'm saying I've said this for uh, about a couple of months now in terms of the National Football League and and its arrogance and it can and, and again the arrogance was never more on display than the Colin Kaepernick situation okay and now you want to come back and I think you know I think part of what it was was Again, Goodell is beholden to the owners. As you see the social justice movement continue to uh, to to move forward, uh, the National Football League, I think, wants to be on the right side of history. But I think, you know, again, to me, Goodell is beholden to the owners. The ownership group probably didn't want to get involved in Colin Kaepernick, didn't want to get involved with all of that, with the president and what he had to say with respect to, to the kneeling. So in essence, Goodell's uh, was sort of handcuffed. But I believe now, you know, we've seen this in the last couple of months from Goodell. He said various things more recently here this week that the NFL should have listened to Colin Kaepernick. So we're going to talk more about that today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row Takuma Sato wins the Indianapolis 500. It's the second time in the last four races that he has won the Indianapolis 500. He already had been the first Japanese racer to win the Indianapolis 500. He has now done it twice. And so Takuma Sato going to join us a little bit later on here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Right now, I want to say that our thoughts and prayers are with those affected by Hurricane Laura, as a matter of fact, uh, some of our affiliates right in the path, a few of our affiliates, I should say, right in the path of the hurricane, uh, more specifically those affected in the Monroe and Ruston areas of Louisiana. Our thoughts and prayers are with you right now and with all of those affected by Hurricane Laura uh, right now here on from the press box to press row. I want to get into 
what Doc Rivers had to say. And again, we've we've seen the Milwaukee Bucks uh, walk out. We're going to talk more about uh, the NBA, where it is, and uh, really what happened to Jacob Blake uh, resonated across the sports landscape. But here was Doc Rivers on Tuesday in an emotional post-game press conference plea. What stands out to me is um, just just watching the Republican uh, convention and they're spewing this fear, right? Like, all you hear is Donald Trump and all of them talking about fear. We're the ones getting killed. We're the ones getting shot. Uh, We're the ones that we're denied to live in certain communities. Um, We've been hung, we've been shot, and all you do is keep hearing about fear. It's, It's amazing why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back. And it's just, it's really so sad. Like I should just be a coach. And it's so often reminded of my color. You know, it's just really sad. We gotta do better, Uh, but we gotta demand better. Like we got, you know, it's it's funny. We protest and they send riot guards, right? Uh, They send people in riot outfits. They go up to Michigan with guns and they're spitting on cops and nothing happens. The training has to change in the police force. The unions have to be taken down in the police force. My dad was a cop. I believe in good cops. We're not trying to defund the police and take all their money away. We're trying to get them to protect us, just like they protect everybody else. Uh, I didn't want to talk about it before the game because it's so hard Like to just keep watching it. That video, if, if you watch that video, you don't need to be black to be outraged. You, don't, you need to be American and outraged. And how dare the Republicans talk about fear? We're the ones that need to be scared. We're the ones having to talk every, to every black child. What white father has to give his son a talk about being careful if you get pulled over? It's, it's just ridiculous. And it just keeps getting, it keeps going. Uh, there's no charges. Breonna Taylor, no charges, nothing. All we're asking is you live up to the Constitution. That's all we're asking for everybody, for everyone. So extremely, extremely powerful statements by Clippers head coach Doc Rivers at the post-game press conference on Tuesday. We are where we are now with the NBA. We're going to talk a lot more about that today here on the program. Again, still to come, we're going to be joined by Indianapolis 500 winner 
Takumo Sato here on the program. More of Box to Row on the other side. Hey, what happened to all the Marjorie's beef jerky? Hey, what's up, bro? It was you, wasn't it? What was? Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You ate all the Marjorie's beef jerky, didn't you? Yeah, so what? That was mine. Dad just bought that for me yesterday. Don't worry, I'll just go online and buy some more. No big deal. Wait, you can just go online and buy more? Well, in that case, I'm going to buy the original orange teriyaki and sweet and spicy. But I do expect you to pay me back for all that beef jerky you ate. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. Purchase Marjorie's Beef Jerky online right now at Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com. That's Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com. Or call them toll-free, 844-340-7613. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer. The neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsborough. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Salt Box, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's. And in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. Still to come here on From the Press Box to Press Row, we're going to be joined by the Indianapolis 500 winner, Takumo Sato, here on the program, has won the Indianapolis 500 twice in the last four races and it was the 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 race finished under caution finished under caution so we're going to talk with takuma sato about that and uh, winning another indianapolis 500 the and and again when you look at the indianapolis 500 this year didn't get as much press generally it is on labor day weekend it's the sunday of labor day week because of COVID 19 it didn't happen that way and so even leading up to the Indianapolis 500, not a lot of fanfare, not a lot of fine fanfare with respect to the Indianapolis 500. But still, I mean, when you, you, you think about the history of it, the greatest spectacle in racing, one of the greatest spectacles in sports. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with the crowd, right? Like 100,000 people can be in the Indianapolis Speedway at one time. Obviously, that was not the case this time around with COVID-19. Still doesn't diminish from winning the Indianapolis 500. It is exactly what Takumo Sato did. And so we're going to talk with him a little bit later on in the program. So 
let, let's get back. I, it's a number of different things. I want to go a number of different pl- uh, places with the conversation, and I want you to join me on the conversation via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W, on my personal Twitter account, at dware one at dware one and also on my personal Instagram account, at where Donald. I got to say thank you to all of the great uh, affiliates around the country that carry the program. And we, we got to give a special shout out because, you know, Hurricane Laura uh, did a lot of damage and uh, in Louisiana, uh, in Texas. So our, our thoughts and prayers are with those affected by uh, Hurricane Laura. Uh, you know, we have a, a couple of radio stations uh, in Alexand. We have a radio station in Alexandria, Louisiana, KTTP. Uh, also, we have a radio station in the Ruston and Monroe, Louisiana area. Uh, a couple of stations, as a matter of fact, uh, Sports Talk uh, 97.7 FM and then also KGRM. Uh, in matter of fact, KGRM has been carrying the program for so many. Uh, wow. I mean, maybe 12 years or so. So our thoughts and prayers are with all of those affected by Hurricane Laura, specifically in those areas. Of course, we always want to thank those that listen to us on Sirius XM channels 141 and 142 and those that listen to us around the world at BoxToRow.com. A couple of different things I want to get into. So uh, the the NBA, the players ultimately deciding to resume play, uh, and that announcement was made on Thursday. The players had a meeting on Thursday. Thursday and a lot was discussed from my understanding in the meeting a lot was discussed the potential fallback uh, for not only this season but also next season the owners could lock the players out they could request a new collective bargaining agreement a lot of those things I'm sure factored into this but I think at the end of the day the players took a stand and I think what they did will spark change because I think at the end of the day can the players themselves, I mean, the players themselves indirectly have the power to make change because what they can do and as they did, I mean, they I, they were very serious about this. I think, you know, I think this this is the deal. Like you have a lot of different dynamics here. You have a lot of players that, you know, I'm sure most of the players were for this and the Bucks let it off. It was in their home state in the area. Uh, it's what 40 miles from Milwaukee but I mean you you know what about that player I mean you have the players like LeBron James and the players like Kawhi Leonard and all of those players that have uh, had a lot of uh, success a lot of financial success and I realize for a lot of those guys and really most of those guys this isn't about the money we always say everything's about the money right but like this really wasn't or isn't about the money. This is about those players being sick and tired of what we're seeing happen to young black men being shot by the police, having their uh, a, a knee uh, in their neck by the police, chokeholds by the police. This has happened. I mean, look, we're talking about what the last, I mean, our conversations have been the last couple of years. I mean, this has been happening for 200 years in excess of, right? So this isn't anything new. 
But then you have some players that, I mean, they want to be part of this, but what about that rookie, right, that really, you know, maybe just, you know, his parents, maybe just bought his parents a home, right, and and, and knowing that he was going to be able to get uh, money and, you know, make his money. And I'm even talking about first-round picks, like first round picks have a guaranteed contract. I'm not even talking about them. I'm talking about maybe that free agent that's a rookie that made the team that, you know, may have uh, not gotten a whole lot of money that needs to play, right? To to be a, so I think you have a lot of different dynamics here. I I don't I think overall this isn't about the money. This is purely about change. And I really applaud the Milwaukee Bucks. I applaud the NBA players for taking a stand. So they also met with the owners. I think the owners are the ones. So the players have power, but not necessarily the pipeline to those that are in charge. I mean, at the end of the day, those that have the authority and the power to make change don't care about the NBA protest. The ones that, care about the NBA protest and the players and others, et cetera, don't necessarily have the power to make change directly. So you have the players that have the power indirectly can go to the owners who can then go to government officials, the president, et cetera, et cetera. I know the president has, he, he, you know, unfortunately really just doesn't get it. Like I'm not even gonna, like it's it's a waste of you, you you rarely hear me talk about the president on the show. It's like a waste of time. I mean, I got one hour to get the point across to you guys to be able to allow for you to be able to be a participant in the conversation and then also to be informed when we have guests, et cetera. I don't have time to to do that. I mean, you know, it'd be it's just a waste of time. But I mean, hopefully it's some of those owners. That can get to because all politics, I mean, politics are local to start with. Politics are local to start with. So you talk with these owners, they have the relationships with, you know, governors, with uh, with with uh, with uh, uh, representatives locally, et cetera. Right. Where they can have these conversations and have some kind of police reform, you know, um, where things can really change and they have to change. So I really applaud the players for this. Um, you know, listen, we're going to play basketball. Okay. Again, but this type of situation did not fall on deaf ears. I don't think there's any question about it. By the way, uh, our colleague Lute Williams of the black Co- college sports page brought up a great point that this is, you know, I have, you know, I'm only 46 years old. Like I haven't been living that long, but back in 1965 at the AFL all-star game, football, AFL all-star game, the players, specifically black players went on strike. The game was in new Orleans and segregation at that time, even though you had the civil rights act that had already been passed uh, it, it was just a lot of segregation. The black players didn't feel welcome to the point that they boycotted the game. And some of the white players ultimately followed suit as well to the point that the game was moved 
to Houston. So this is not the first time we've seen something like this. Now, that was an all-star game, a little bit different. It's a different time. But it's still the same conversation some 55 years later. I think that is absolutely unfortunate that we're still having the same conversations. Now, you know, police brutality may not have been at the heart of what the protest in 1965 was by the AFL players. It was more about those players being uh, discriminated against at that particular time. But that's just, I mean, that, uh, but, it, but listen, it was under, it, it, it was all of those things I'm sure that was happening at that time. So not only did you have the discrimination in New Orleans, but you had discrimination everywhere they went for so many years. Like we're living in the 2020s and while it may not be like 1965 when it comes to police brutality when it comes to black men and women being killed by the police uh when you have you know the vigilantism that you also had um in Kenosha as well i mean look you know we're sick and tired of this. Like as a black man, like I'm sick and tired of having this conversation. You know, we had it with George Floyd, but, I, but you know what? This, and, and, and I'm going to be honest with you. Like this isn't a conversation we've had in a couple of weeks. Not that it hasn't been on my mind. It's just that sometimes when it's never, you, you get comfortable. Like the George Floyd situation happened at the end of May. It, protests lasted for in excess of a month maybe 45 days and you know maybe within the last 45 days or so not so much but then you have a Jacob Blake what happened to Mr. Blake in it so it puts it back in the forefront but the thing about it and the thing that we're going to do on this show from here on out is we're going to keep it at the forefront we're not going to make it necessarily make it a focus each and every week but it's something we we have to talk about we have to keep in the forefront and by the way also you remember the slogan a couple of years maybe going back to 2004 during the presidential election vote or die like that's the slogan that needs to come back now this election is the most important election. Please, if you are have not registered to vote, please register to vote. And then when November 3rd comes around, please go vote. Don't count on the USPS. I realize COVID is in effect. Protect yourself if you can. Go to the polls and vote. We're going to switch gears on the other side of this break. Going to be joined by... Actress Lisa Ray. Let's continue here on from the press box to press row. If you're watching this on Zoom, you see who our next guest is. If you're listening on radio, like, I mean, if you see who's on the screen, I, I don't really need to make the introduction. But for those that are listening on radio, she's an actress, CEO, entrepreneur, model. You remember her from such projects as Players Club. Also, single ladies, it's so many others we can't. If, if I had to mention everything she's done, like we'd run out of time for the interview. She's <laughs> welcome back to the program. Thank you, because it's been a long time. It's been a while. It has it's been. been and, you know, we, we were able to track you down. Know you've been uh, super busy. Glad you're making some time for us once again 
on the program. You know, I, I want to start here. How have you and your family been getting along amidst this COVID-19 pandemic? You know what? I have had no problems up until maybe about two weeks ago because my mother has been here since December. And so we've been quarantined together since like she was six. So since February, we've been in. So we're looking at almost five months of being in. And I'm very uh, optimistic. I'm a playful type of person. I'm a free spirit. You know, so everything to me is a game. You know what I mean? I'll make cooking a game. I'll make babysitting and being a nanny a game. I'll make cleaning up with the mirrors like one, two, three, four, and five, six, seven, eight. You know, I'm really that kind of person. But it's only so much you can do by just being in one space. And that's just your house. You know what I mean? And I've done picnics. We've went swimming. We've done playing ball and all these different things. But it's four generations here. It's my mother, myself, my daughter, and my grandbaby. So we have company. Of course, the baby brings joy to the house. But for the last two weeks, I've been having a little cabin fever. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to get out. And so driving for me was like I was a tourist. I was driving, it was my first time, like, oh my, look at this business, it's not even here anymore. And this business, they must have looped over here because they're they're boarded up and I don't know if they're ever gonna be able to survive anymore. And oh, look at this restaurant, they're not supposed to be open, but oh, they're doing nails on the outside now. And I tell you, it has been so much going on, even on the outside, to now I'm seeing that even taking a drive helps your mind and your mindset, just something that small, just taking a walk in your neighborhood. I have walked in my neighborhood now more than I ever have. And I've been in my house for 16 years. Wow. I know some neighbors that I didn't even know before. Where you live? You run, I'm around here. You took me too. Hey, you know? <laughs> so I've been learning a lot about my house. I've been doing some house projects, refouling and organizing my files finding different cracks from earthquakes on my ceiling and saying, hey, where the hell that come from? You know what I mean? Just, <laughs> just been into me, my family, and into my house and home environment. So it's been absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Let me let me let me switch gears a little bit. I mean, I, I, we, I think we need to talk about this. I mean, you're from the shy, from the Midwest. You know, the, the situation with Jacob Blake. Uh, you know, we saw George Floyd going back uh, to uh, to to towards the end of May. And now, once again, we're talking about the same scenario with the police and the brothers. Your thoughts on what you saw on that tape as it relates to Jacob Blake. OK, first of all, it's, 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 it's sad and it's unbelievable for us. And, and what I want to tell our public is that it's not all policemen. It's not. You know, we cannot hold everybody accountable for individuals that want to have that chip on their shoulder and wear that badge and wear that gun because in their life, they weren't nothing. They weren't nothing. And now they put that badge on and they feel like superhero. And so right there is a disconnection with their mindset. And we need to give our people therapy because they need to know how to deal with us. We need to give them some type of training so they know how to deal with us. Because, see, here's the thing. When he went to his car and he bent down in his car, it made people say, and it made me say too, well, wait a minute, what is he going to get? Okay. However, before he went around to his car, he did just that. It was for the policeman. He walked around. At what point do you say, I said, stop or hold it or I'm going to drop you? Not with a gun, but drop you with, what about that chokehold y'all know about doing? 
What about uh, the, the rubber bullets? What, what about that taser that y'all so much like using? What about using all four of them to bring him down then? Why did you wait until he got to the car, opened the door, went in to reach? What made you shoot seven times? Not one time, seven times. And then why didn't you shoot him in the shoulder, in the arm, in the leg? At that close range, that's going to stop anybody. What made you shoot this man seven times and not even care that his three sons that's going to grow up to be men are looking at this? It's going to be a mind trip for them. And it's going to be traumatizing for those young boys because not only are they looking at someone hurting their father, but they're looking at the people that's supposed to serve and protect us, which our tax dollars pay. And he, they're looking at him like, well, wait a minute. You're dangerous to us. So now I can't respect you because you have this uniform on because I'm seeing something different. How do we teach our young men to respect them after what they are seeing? It's crazy. It's such a disconnect till it makes me feel like everything that we're doing now. And see, at first I wasn't down with the looting. I was like, no, no, people don't do it. You know, it's not, you know, it's not worth it. But I'm going to tell you this. I understand it. I understand the looting only because we're scurrying to try to get the attention of the government. We're running loose and running out of ideas because we know petitioning does nothing. Damn near marching ain't really doing nothing, at least fast enough. We're now looking for what and how do we get satisfaction right here and right now? Because if we don't, Y'all killing us one by one, state by state, every day. Yeah. Every day. It's scary for not just the young that's watching it. It's scary for me as a mother and as a grandmother because I'm looking like, wait a minute, I don't even want a routine traffic stop. Now I'm running over myself trying to do good and I look nervous and now you looking at me looking nervous and you think I'm doing something and now you got the gun on me and I'm scared. I'm like, whoa, the, 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 they're throwing out the wrong signals and the wrong messages. But we are also as a people, as a race, as a community and as Americans are trying to figure out where do we go from here? What do we do now? How do we let our, our voices be heard about this disjustice and injustice that we are having? Yeah. No, very well said. I mean, speaking of voices, the NBA players uh, made a stand. Um, I think ultimately we, we understand now that they're going to play, but they did not, the Milwaukee Bucks more specifically, and then the players as a whole. Your, your thoughts on, I don't know, if you, are you a big sports fan? Your, your thoughts on what the NBA players did? I'm, I'm more with basketball sports, and I'm more for anyone that's going to leverage their voice and use their platform. So that, for me, spoke volume. Do I follow sports? No, not really. But because they got something to say now, and they can, and they're powerful. They're powerful because they are an entity. You know what I mean? Those, uh, uh, those folks, I'll say, want them to get back to business. Uh, those folks want them to get back to making them money. Those folks want to put people stands in, in your people in the stands so we can forget about everything else is going on because they feel that this job of sportsmanship is much uh, bigger and better. Uh -uh. I commend those players that said, well, wait a minute, what are we going back to work for? What are we going back to play for? Uh, we got other things that we got to deal with here. 
Uh, don't you want to worry about what's going on to with our families over here that might enable me to go to work? <laughs> don't you want to care about those kind of things? Like, well, wait a minute. So I love that LeBron spoke, spoke up. I love that the Milwaukee Bucks has, took a stand. We have to collectively, we got to get the important people. And when I say the important people, I only say that meaning the people that have a platform and a voice that we are looking at as a whole that has a powerful voice that others are listening to called influencers. Those people, when they take a stand, we're able to listen and say, oh, if they are doing that, then okay, it's, it's, it's cool for me to get on the bandwagon because we, we, gotta, we have to have some leaders out there. We got to have some people that are going to lead us so that us as followers are going to be able to make that march and that protest and that message louder and bigger message. That's what we need. We need to collectively come together and collectively be unified so we can show them that we're not alone, that we're not taking this anymore. It's too much. You know, I don't know. That, that was 90. I guess I was about 24 at the time. And, you know, I, I saw it. But as I got older and maybe saw it, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago, I realized how even how powerful that mm -hmm. film and role was. Can you can you sort of speak to that? Absolutely, because here's the reason why I took that role. Well, besides it would could have been any role as a newcomer, I would have taken it anyway. You know what I mean? Right. Um, because it was a lead film, a leading role in a film with Ice Cube. And then not to mention Jamie Foxx and then um, Bernie Mac, Mac mm -hmm. rest in peace, yep. which is my Chicago mate. He's from Chicago. Then Michael Clark Duncan was in it. Rest in peace. He's from Chicago. I knew those guys from Chicago. So when I read the script and understood the message, what I really loved about the movie is those one-liners that I always say, uh, make the money. Don't let the money make you. Or what you going to do? Make a career of it? You know, there's so many little sayings in there that's relevant today because one thing, when people ask me, is it going to be a Players Club too? I say to them, didn't you watch the movie? Diana graduated. She's done with Players Club. Right. So the message was, yeah, this is an occupation. This is a job. Some people choose this to, to help them through school, to help them take care of their family, to help them raise their son. They do this. This is an option. But the other option is get in and get out. Don't get stuck. Don't get caught up. That's what I loved about the movie. She made her money. She did what she had to do. She, she tried out a couple of things that wasn't really for her. She was a decent young lady. She did not get in there and let it turn her around. And she did what she had to do and she left, you know? And I wanted my daughter, even as a young girl then, to know that some ladies do this. You know, now, would it be an occupation that I would have chose? No, not mine, because I would have had, I had other options for me that I would have preferred to do, you know? But it's real. I believe that Players Club single-handedly bought back stripping, period. When I go to the strip club, I get all my dances free. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, they push the button like, Diamond is here. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I love the tricks that they do. Like, the girls that do the pole work, honey, I'm all day making it rain with them. Go ahead, girl. Go ahead. I love it. You know what I mean? It's, it's right. a form of entertainment as well, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that seems like that's been, I mean, that it seemed like that's something that probably should have, happened for you long long time you've been doing this a long time yeah. yeah you know but i think that people want to see the lisa ray that is the sex symbol still you know because i still look good 
you know, for my age, you know, so they're like, hey, we don't want to see her with gray, uh, gray hair or in baggy clothes. Let her show it. You know what I mean? Still. And I'm, you know, for a while, it was like, absolutely. Shoot. I still got it. Let me flaunt it, you know. Well, Lisa Ray, we really appreciate the time. You've always made time for us here on the program. Your candor. I mean, you're always candid. Speak your mind. Don't hold back. We love that about you. Uh, Continued success in all you do. I appreciate that. I receive that. I take that. You be safe. Be careful. In our world, listen to us. We cannot stop. We have to keep protesting. We got to keep protecting ourselves because we see that they are not. Please, please get out and vote. It's important. Your vote is important. We need it. Absolutely. November 3rd. Everybody get out and vote as Lisa Ray joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Really appreciate the time, Lisa Ray. I love you guys. Thank you so very much. About as real as they come, Lisa Ray joining us here on the program is unable to join us for the 15-year celebration last Thursday. Said she would join us this week, and of course, she did. We were very glad to have her. Switching gears again up next here on From the Press Box to Press Row, Indy 500 winner, Takumo Sato. Track down the names making news in sports from the press box to press row. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. Let's continue here on from the press box to press row. We're joined by a gentleman who is the two-time Indianapolis 500 winner. As a matter of fact, he did it once again on Sunday, taking the checkered flag. Did it back in 2017. He is to Takuma Sato, joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Takuma, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for having us. No, thank you. I mean, what did it mean? I mean, two times, you've done it two times in the last uh, four races in terms of winning uh, the, the biggest spectacle perhaps in sports. What did it mean to you to win it this time around? Well, I mean, it means a lot. Um, it's what an amazing day we had at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, obviously, from my personal achievement point of view, yes, it's great. But that's that's small compared to uh, what the bigger picture is. Because first, I think we should be appreciate even just we raced because obviously some difficulty all over the world and a lot of athletes on different fields, you know, not even have the field to 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 perform. So. The racing is the one thing is great, and then and secondly, um, of course, I was finally be able to bring my beautiful number thirty Panasonic People Ready car, putting on the uh, winner circle for Indianapolis Motor Speedway at 500, in front of three big owners, who is of course Bobby Rahal and David Letterman and uh, Mike Lanningham, because they gave me opportunity to 2012, and uh, lap 199. With Darian Frankiti, um, basically, simply, I couldn't make it happen uh, for these boys, uh, these owners. Finally, I was to bring it to the uh, give back. Uh, so what a beautiful moment for the entire team. And that was just my biggest happiness point. No question. I mean, you were able to get it done and won it under caution. Uh, let, can you speak to the preparation? I mean, I think it's interesting because it had been over a month since your last race in Iowa. Can you speak to sort of the preparation for the Indianapolis 500? Well, I think uh, Indy, Indy preparation is uh, starting already um, a couple months ago. And, and uh, in extreme case, probably one year time, you know, depending on the team. 
but uh, all the resource and every single driver, every single team owners and, and boys and mechanics, and they, they are aiming for the ultimate goal, which is Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So, uh, yeah, we have uh, several cars in road course car, and, and of course, you know, we, we, we um, are using the same chassis for the uh, short oval, but Speedway car is extremely dedicated and uh, finding for the, all the details for squeezing out of the speed, and that is why I think it is so special. Yeah, how? I mean, I, I guess it's an obvious question. Well, but I'm, I'm going to ask it. I mean, how how has the has the COVID nineteen pandemic made preparations different uh, in terms of not only the Indianapolis five hundred but racing as a whole this season? Um, I think it has got a huge impact, of course. Um, but um, I think uh, we were fortunate enough to to with all the protocol, um, um, all the boys and be able to to working in the shop. And uh, with some restriction, but I don't think there is a, a much of the restriction in terms of preparation. But just uh, we have to uh, have a short time uh, to turning around to the next race, to next race each other. So uh, I think that was a really hard part. And uh, of course, needless to say, but financially hitting a quite big time with the sponsorship and how many races and obviously no spectators and TV rating. All in all, it is a difficult, challenging time. But we are living with this. Sport and uh, we were fortunate enough to have a, a what a spectacle race yesterday we had and uh, I hope all the fans really enjoyed it that one. Yeah, no, it was, it was exciting. A lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of crashes in the race. Uh, Takuma Sato, two-time Indianapolis 500 winner, joins us here on from the press box to press row. Speak to the strategy. Like you, you were you you guys were almost out of fuel, uh, but you ultimately held. Uh, Scott Dixon off, who's been very hot this year, as a matter of fact, to win the Indy 500. Yes. Uh, well, yes and no. Um, I know a lot of people, the most curious question was, did I have enough fuel until end if that's uh, keep on the green? The answer is yes, we had. I hit the super fuel number I needed because I immediately uh, on the last into the last 30 laps, I was extensive, uh, very, very strict fuel strategy with uh, with the lean mixture, which is uh, getting uh, less uh, uh, fuel, uh, more, more getting more fuel mileage for that. And of course, you know, when I needed, which was, for example, when I overtook a, a Scott, as well as he attempted to re-overtake me. So a couple of times I had to defend myself. That was obviously power best mixture. But otherwise, I was going back to the linear mixture. So back and forth, back and forth. In some extreme case, it was a three-time pal-up. And that's how I survived. And um, obviously, with the yellow situation, you know, all the fans, and including us, nobody wants to see, you know, the race finish under the yellow. I get that. And, um, you know, we wanted to do the hard racing as well. But when you're leading the pack under the yellow, it really, it didn't bother me. <laughs> I, uh, right, I was right. happy to just break the car home, and uh, it was great. The more, more, more seriously talking, I mean, I was obviously concerned my teammate Spencer had such a massive impact, but um, I think for the uh, uh, safety crew for the Indiana Police, as well as uh, IndyCar's safety uh, improvement was uh, once again, uh, you know, proof that uh, it's incredible uh, escape from him that out of the hospital last night with no problem. So, uh, yeah, it was it was all good. Um, even though it was under the yellow, or if it had to become a red flag and maybe three laps to shoot out, I had no problem with the with the fuel. And also, even if it's a continue with no yellow, yes, I think it's Scotland and I both extremely um, tight on the fuel. 
But I think we are able to challenge race hard with him until very last lap. What does it mean, you know, for you to uh, you won it in 2017, uh, at least from what I read, had a crash in 2018, finished third last year and then to win it, you know, once again in 2020. Can you sort of really speak to that and just sort of that progression in terms of, you know, winning, then crashing, then finishing third and then ultimately winning a game? Um, it sounds like a bit up and down, didn't it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, I think um, I think I'm just a few. I'm very very fortunate to be in a situation to be able to 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 um, to race uh, with a, it's such a competitive environment because um, the winning or even the podium on on this special race is is very hard to do achieve, and not just once but twice. It's just I must be really lucky. Um, but that's uh, that's the uh, entire team made this happen. So I can't thank enough to the uh, entire team, the boys and for 30 cars especially, but also the uh, you know three big owners, Bobby Leho, Mike Lanning, and and, and the David Letterman, and they literally made me happen for this special occasion. Last thought: uh, which win, like which win, is more gratifying? Is it 2017 or the win on Sunday? It's a bit of a, a bit of a different subject because for me, obviously, the first achievement for my ultimate goal to winning 500 was said nothing like it. You know, it was a significant moment in 17. However, yesterday's win was in in many ways it was felt similar. You know, I was as fresh as I, as I was hungry as the same first one. But if if any different was, I was able to give in the back to the uh, the free one as I just told was finally able to do that because obviously 2012, lap 199, going to turn one with side-by-side side with Darion Franchitti. I couldn't make this honor happen to be happy for the, for the last lap. And um, it was something left over for eight years ago. And finally, I was achieved to bring the car and, uh, you know, making three owners in, in winner's circle. That was a very, very special moment. And... You know, the Bobby Rayhold, ultimately, he made all the decision, but David Letterman, but particularly in my case, Mr. Mike Lanningham, who put the financial commitment on my Saudi car. So without his commitment, you know, I wouldn't be able to drive. So, uh, you know, huge, huge thank you to these three owners, as well as all my uh, uh, very, very loyal sponsors, and particularly so people already got on board um, this weekend for the uh, special moment, as well as, you know, being Panasonic, Hondas, and all the sponsorship, that, that's made me happen. So I just can't thank enough for anybody, and, and the fans too, fans so loyal, so uh, I just love them all. You, you know what I said, last thought, but I promise last thought. Uh, again, winning it, first, the, the, the first driver from... Uh, from Japan to win, and now have won it twice. What does that mean to you? Well, once again, I just appreciate you know people who are supporting and uh, you know sending me where we are um, today, and uh, and particularly um, I just want to raise for the children who who having uh, you know facing difficulty, whether that was the COVID nineteen or some some other different circumstances, you know, not only for Japan, but all over the world, you know, the children deserve to have a, have a dream and uh, have a challenge for it. And uh, none of our adults, you know, shouldn't be restricted. So uh, that's why if I, if I can give them energy or little excitement through the racing, um, you know, that's all I do. Um, so, uh, 
Yeah, I, mean, I just feel so fortunate to be on winning twice on this special occasion. But uh, let's uh, big credit to the team first and uh, all the people who are supporting and thinking about this sport. So thank you, everyone, so much. Takumo Sato, again, two-time Indianapolis 500 winner, won it once again on Sunday under caution. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row Takuma. Great to catch up with you again. Congratulations. Continued success to you and your team. Thank you. Takuma Sato, winner of the Indianapolis 500, twice in the last four races, joining us here on the program. And so before we close things out, again, as I mentioned, if you're not registered to vote, please go and register to vote. This is the most important election of our lifetime November the 3rd, so please go register and vote. If you're registered, then please go out and vote. And if you're not registered, then please register and then go out and vote. However you need to do that. I know there's been a lot that's been made about uh, the the mail delivery. We'll put it like that. Listen, uh, the best way to, to avoid that, and I realize we're in a COVID-19 pandemic um, but this this election is so important. If you're able to go to the ballot or to the poll and vote, please do that. As we get ready to wrap it up here on Box to Row, thank you to Takumo Sato for joining us today here on the program. We've got some great stuff on the website at BoxToRow.com. If you missed the 15th anniversary, the showing of the 15th anniversary, which we did virtually where Kevin Frazier, Doug Williams, Josh Stone were all guests. And we had some great vignettes of some of the guests that we've had over the years. You can watch that on our website at box Don't forget to tell a couple of friends about the show. Also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And always remember to support those that support you from the press box to press row is presented by DW Communications. In a little tent Oh, and just like the river I've been running Ever since It's been a long A long time coming But I know A change gonna come